severely messed Artists like their boots are torn to shreds The government will spoil your hopes and dreams By offering a useless retreat and scheme There's such amazing talent, why can't you see That the government has decimated the industry And now the years of hard work have been thrown away Just get a real job Hello and welcome to another episode of Just Get A Real Job, the podcast where we speak to emerging creatives and creatives alike from across the creative industries. I'm of course your host, Jamie McKinley, and I'm recording this week's episode once again from our wonderful editor, Elliot Mitchell's lovely home studio. And I apologise in the background, there's actually an owl outside, so if you hear the owl, Elliot's sighing there, but if you hear the owl, then enjoy it. Enjoy it. I can hear it already. (laughs) We just make do. Listen, I've done outros outside before, but um, if you're a new listener, thank you very much for listening. Thank you for tuning in to Just Get a Real Job. We have a a massive back catalogue of episodes. This is episode 59, so if you are a first-time listener and you enjoy this episode, be sure to go back and listen to our older episodes. We've got some great conversations on there. But before I get into this week's episode, I just wanted to quickly mention a, a bit of a tribute because today is actually a year since my granddad passed away. And of, of course, regular long-time listeners will know that I regularly mention my granddad on the podcast. He was a, a massive part of my life. So to pay a sort of tribute to my granddad, we'd actually got a bit of a special thing at the end of this week's episode. Me and Elliot yesterday sat and recorded a cover of a Johnny Cash song. So... At the end of this week's brilliant conversation, there'll be a little song. Feel free to listen to it. You might, if you don't, if it's not for you, you can switch off. But there's a little tribute for my granddad, so stay tuned for that at the end of this week's episode. But now it's time for the main event. And speaking to us on the podcast this week is Isabella Van Brekel. Apologise if I got your name wrong, Isabella. I'm not not the best at pronouncing surnames, but I, I think I gave it a good shot. But Isabella is a set and costume designer. She's uh, worked in loads, loads of really cool stage shows. Um, we'd never had a set designer on the podcast before, so it was great to have her on. She had some really interesting things to say about it. So I'm sure anyone that's listening that wants to work in that sort of job is going to get a lot out of this episode. And anyone that's just interested in this podcast is a very, very enjoyable one. So I hope you enjoy this week's episode i'll stop waffling on and without much further ado episode 59 with isabella van brakel enjoy hello isabella how you doing good evening thank you for for coming on this podcast on a wednesday night and giving up your time i appreciate it oh no problem at all really looking forward to it and yeah doing well thank you Good, good, good. Well, as I was saying to you before we started recording, you're the first set designer we'd had on the podcast. So that's quite exciting to have somebody that has done something a bit different on. It's nice to change it up as well. A bit of pressure as well. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully I, I do good things for the community of many, many sets. <laughs> I'm sure you will. I'm, yeah. I'm sure plenty of interesting stuff to talk about. But like, I suppose we always start this podcast. Uh, our first question we ask all our guests is like, what are your sort of earliest creative memories? So do you remember as like a youngster what your first sort of inkling that you wanted to maybe work in the creative arts was? Yeah, well, so both my parents are in the arts. Ah, cool. So I think as much as they were hoping that I might turn around and be like, hey, I want to be a banker and earn loads of money. <laughs> I think it was kind of written already. My mum was talking about something actually the other day. We were just chatting about when she first realised that she was like, yeah, I think this kid's going to be in art. And I think I was probably like a couple of months old and there was this like little 
toy thing that I had and like on the back of it you know where you have like the screw holes in on like yeah, yeah. anything and there's like those little holes I put little candles in and turned it into a birthday cake <laughs> and like made it look all pretty and my mom was like oh, another one lost to the art <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so I mean really from a very early age I think partly in the way I was brought up as well like the stuff that I was surrounded by was always a bit more creative anyway so I was really lucky with that but I think I always was attracted to colours and especially 3D forms I think that Mm. was the thing where my my mum's a textile artist and she's very two-dimensional yeah and my thing was like I always kind of had this thing of like 3D shapes and kind of how they worked and you know what happened with that so so yeah it was kind of from day dot really I don't think there's sort of that specific moment so did you so you knew quite early on then the sort of 3D stuff that you were you were quite like did you think instantly like this could be set does that I mean you're very young obviously or was it more just like an interest in that type of art that slowly over time sort of led you into that yeah yeah so I think I always knew I liked art I didn't quite know what area I suited but I think sort of throughout secondary school I had a really lovely graphics teacher who was really inspirational and everything my art teachers weren't who were awful and horrible and he he was really inspiring and because of that I I kind of became quite interested in graphics but I think there was kind of a point where I sort of felt like graphics wasn't sort of freeing enough there was always kind of I think it was also the type of graphics we were doing it was a lot of sort of products (laughs) and that kind of thing which I found interesting because I liked having you know a framework that you had to go to work with so you know you'd have this is for this kind of person this needs to do this and this needs to do that so it's not Mm. just an object to enjoy it's something that has other requirements I think I always kind of knew I was more design than fine art I know never <laughs> I think I think if I was given a canvas and like asked to paint I really wouldn't know what to do but I think so when I was very little I lived for a short time in the Czech Republic and mm. it used to be very very cheap to go to the opera and the ballet so when I was sort of two and a half three my mum would take me to see a ballet and if I cried not that I ever did she could take me out and it was you know 50p basically you know to go to go and sit in a box and watch it and I think so there was always something with that that I always loved kind of performance but it was sort of throughout secondary school it was actually I credit Doctor Who massively and Doctor Who Confidential which I remember yeah you know that that weird you know that comes up a lot on this podcast is that people talk about like because when it sort of relaunched in 2005 and everything like I think it really did inspire like a generation of creative people including myself like do you know what I mean completely because like I remember Doctor Who is and will always be the most important TV thing, one of the most important things to me. But with Confidential, I think there was this one episode which was one of the episodes where there's like a spaceship that knocks into Big Ben and they were showing that as a scale model and it was like... Yeah, a, yeah, um, I remember. I can't remember what the scale was, but it was sort of, you know, I think Big Ben was probably two foot high, something like that. And I was just like, wow, people, people do this. And then I kind of 
started sort of looking into it a little bit and through school I kind of was then like oh I really like the idea of film I then went to see sort of started going to see sort of musicals and plays and things like that and sort of here and there and I think it was sort of going to see Phantom of the Opera Mm. I was then like wow someone has actually picked all of the details on these costumes somebody has picked what the boat looks like you know this is this is not just people putting on a a thing this is this is a real craft of its own and it was kind of I think that was the first time that kind of I thought of it as a separate job didn't know the title of it didn't know what it was and then sort of throughout secondary school I sort of gradually sort of edged towards it and I was quite lucky by I think by the time I was about 16 17 I was 100% sure I wanted to go into theatre yeah, yeah. Sort of so knew. it was quite specific and then when I started university actually most of the people I did so I did a foundation first at um, Central St Martins and then I did my degree there as well but most of the people who did my degree had come from other courses so they'd done architecture they'd done acting they'd done fashion and then they'd sort of worked out actually where they wanted to be because I think probably I I, if I wouldn't have worked out theatre was it I think I probably would have gone down the architecture route but I think I probably would have always been an architect who would do do the conceptual buildings and not the real ones yeah because yeah. <laughs> I liked that sort of playfulness mm. the conceptual buildings yeah and yeah I, yeah so it was a mixture of factors and when I was doing my A-levels as well it's a course that still carries on so it's I've grown up most of my life in North London and I think it's North and West London people who come from North and West London there's a sort of program for A-level students at the Royal Academy of Arts and it was kind of afternoons, evenings, occasional weekends. They would have like specific little art courses that you would do and you would go through this program over two years. So, you know, you do life drawing, you do an architecture course for crazy famous artists and stuff like that or go and visit somewhere. And it was it was incredible. And I think that was everything that my art department at school failed at. They made they made that possible. So I think that kind of opened my eyes to a lot of those areas. But, yeah. yeah, it's quite it's quite lucky, though, to, to kind of know roughly at that age, like that sort of quite the area you want to work in. I think that especially in the arts it's quite rare actually because I think also because it's not because the whole podcast is called like you know a lot of people don't see it as a real job either and it's not particularly encouraged in school I would say to choose it as a career Mm. that puts a lot of people off as well and I also Mm. think because we don't learn about it a lot in school and like we don't learn about what the other roles are outside of say acting or playing music or something like that that you start, a lot of people think they, they'd like the industry so like, oh, go and be an actor but they actually realize when they're as you were saying a lot of you, you people coming on your course they realize when they study that they're like actually I didn't actually I wasn't maybe that part of it I was interested in yeah. you know designing the sets or whatever so it is really interesting yeah. yeah it is it is something where yeah a lot of people don't even know what the job is it also doesn't help being an actor you've got there's really one job title somebody might say I'm a performer but people know it whereas you know with theatre design with film design you've got you know production designer sonographer set designer costume designer set and costume designer million up and one other terms and I've probably gone under all of those terms at one point or another in programs which also doesn't really help because I think it's something that 
it sort of adds a lack of clarity, maybe a bit more mystery as to what we actually do. Yeah, I mean, and I'm, I'm not sure, I'm sure it isn't malicious, but almost could be interpreted maybe as like a kind of lack of respect of, as well of what you guys do, because it's maybe like, you know, other roles would always just be called what they are, if that makes sense. I th- yeah, I mean, I, th- I think it's more the, the designer's role because it tends to span quite a lot of areas, you know, for example, on this show Gatsby that I'm doing at the moment, I'm doing the set design on this one I'm normally on productions I'm doing set and costume design yeah yeah Um, I was reading that on your website that's interesting yeah so I or sometimes I just do costume design so there is kind of I think probably the clearest way of describing it is set and costume design because I think that sort of Mm. writes it out but then you know all across Europe it's sonographer so Mm. yeah (laughs) you know we do have the word in this language but (laughs) People just don't use it. And I didn't then, even know that. So there you go. That I've learned. Yeah, that. it's. I mean, it's a lovely term. I mean, I. I think I. I sort of try and use it a bit more, but I think it's just. It just adds to that lack of clarity. I think until there's like a clear shift that everybody is then like sonographer <laughs> and I think production designer has also kind of come into the mix as well but it's sort of a bit confusing because it's sort of come a little bit more from the film world where you've yeah, kind of yeah. got a production designer and an art director and all of that kind of mix of roles so yeah I, th- I think it's just it's partially dependent on kind of specifically what you're doing yeah. for each show but yeah <laughs> it does make it quite difficult it's like what what, what do you do well, well <laughs> this is why this is why it's good to have you as well because you know you we can learn yeah. about it and the listeners can find out more about it especially people that maybe want to yeah. work in it but thank you for for answering the first question very well it's some interesting stuff there and you sort of mentioned that you sort of grew up predominantly in north london and the next question we ask everyone is about where they're from and how where they're from sort of had an influence on them as a creative person so like what was it like sort of growing up in north london and, and how's that how's that had an effect on you as a creative person yeah so I mean my so my early background I was actually I was born in Germany then Mm. moved to the Czech Republic and then came to the UK when I was about four and a half so I started sort of my proper school education here and it was actually it was my parents got divorced and my mum and I moved here in with my grandparents and then I refused to leave <laughs> so <laughs> so we stayed so I'm actually still in in the house now oh, amazing um, and so I think there was there was a lot of that influenced me sort of growing up around my grandparents because I mean they were both very different characters the two of them but I think because they sort of brought up my mum who was in the arts as well they kind of they were always very sort of supportive of that I mean I think North London in the sort of general idea of the area it's not that inspirational particularly it's a very nice area but it's not like whoa that's amazing but what has been so lovely about it is you know you've got tube lines and you can get into London and you can see Mm. all these amazing shows you can see all these amazing exhibitions everything like that is really kind of on your doorstep and I think that was something that I really sort of appreciated, especially sort of as I got a little bit older and was able to kind of journey around on my own <laughs> to places and go and see things. And yeah, because I think I think London for me is is kind of it, it never gets boring. It, yeah. There's always something to kind of inspire you and to discover. So I think that was that's been 
very important for me. No, that is interesting. And, and again, like a lot of, when we speak to people that have grown up in somewhere that's quite artistic or has like a lot of things going on in it, it sort of does help a lot because you have access to like, you know, as you were saying, all these shows and exhibitions and stuff. And I think that is just important. And it's a shame that people in like more rural places don't have like the access to that as easily. And yeah. hopefully COVID is sort of changing that a wee bit as how we look at things. But thank you yeah. for answering that. But another question is, is about like, if you have a favorite word or phrase from where you're from. So is there any phrases like growing up that you really like to say or words that you really like that are quite specific Ooh. to where you grew up? It's my favorite question to ask. Yeah, yeah, we always spoke, you know, we always spoke English at home, but it was always kind of, you know, mostly mostly around food. Um, <laughs> to be completely honest, mostly about food. So, yeah. So, I mean, it was, it was kind of always just sort of little phrases that I realised that, you know, other people don't know, but has just sort of become part of my language, even though I can't speak <laughs> Italian, I can't speak Czech. <laughs> But, you know, there are there are little words that sort of come out here and there. So if it's like, you know, like pasta shudda, which is like when you just like mix the pasta in with the sauce and you like cook it in the frying pan and that's <laughs> yeah, pasta yeah. shudda. And just sort of, you know, little things like that. And people will be like, sorry, what's 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 that and it's like oh well, yeah it's just that's what you do and yeah so there, there's like there's probably loads of phrases that I probably have not can't think about can't think of but yeah, yeah. so I think I think the home landscape are always kind of these sort of random little words that I never quite yeah. knew when they were made up or real no um, it's good we'll, we'll have that one we'll have that one I apologize yeah. you didn't get given the questions to like read before no, no, that's I, absolutely I, fine I otherwise I, I would have yeah I because I sort of I did send them on but like it's it's all, it's all good I feel bad putting you on the spot but that's all right that's all right but to sort of cast your mind back a bit to when you were sort of as you were talking about earlier like you when you went to study set design stuff at, at university and things like how was that and like how did that sort of lead on to like where you where you sort of started working in the industry yeah so I first of all did a foundation course which was you kind of cover lots of different areas of art over a year they've mm. actually sort of become really sparse now there are there are fewer and fewer foundation courses that are actually offering a range of things which I thought was so important and I think it's something that really kind of in any other area of work people should do because like the amount of people that go off to uni to study something that they've never done at school and realize sort of six months in it's like oh this is not what I expected but yeah the, the foundation course was it was amazing I, I loved that year I think that was kind of my favorite experience of kind of my whole uni thing mm -hmm. because it was very freeing you sort of spent I think it was at the beginning you sort of did like a quick round of a week of each subject so yeah. you kind of did a week of graphics a week of film <laughs> a week of textiles fashion and you just kind of went around and sort of did these crazy like quick projects yeah. and then you kind of picked which ones you liked out of those and then did like some four-week projects on two it was two subjects I think you did some four-week projects and then you picked one to kind of keep going towards the end of it so that was then when I sort of went down into the performance design and practice pathway which was one of the it, it's one of the only foundation courses that offer a theatre and performance pathway which I think unfortunately they don't do that anymore which is really sad it's really really sad it kind of shows how there's sort of a, a lack of understanding and respect of, of theatre making from even mm. arts universities you know <laughs> yeah. um but it was it was amazing and the, and the tuition on that was incredible and it was you know we, it was sort of 
starting that kind of idea of you know getting a text or getting an image and exploring that and exploring that sort of journey so I think we were given a text I think I think it was called something like the book of dust and it was kind of used as kind of an inspiration point to make anything with a performative nature whether it's like something interactive in some way like an installation if somebody can interact with it if somebody can sit down walk around it or a costume or a model or whatever so so the stuff that we came out with at the end of that was just fab and kind of seeing where different people have ended up now we've got fashion designers who've come out of that photographers everything kind of all different pathways and then yeah and then I stayed at the university and did the degree in performance design and practice so that course was it's one of the, it's one of the oldest theatre design courses in the UK it was like I think there was four that sort of yeah. started I think around fifth and it was originally a central school of art I think it was it was under and it was theatre design and then it gradually morphed into the course that I did which which kind of covered performance art as well and it covered film and it covered various kind of other practices which for me was really exciting because it meant that kind of the people that I would graduate with I could potentially collaborate with we wouldn't necessarily be doing the same job which I think was really exciting a lot of a lot of those graduates have ended up working in film and fashion and installation and sculpture like every pathway you can possibly think of somebody from from my courses kind of ended up on those even though I kind of knew I specifically kind of wanted to do I was still sort of theatre or film when I started it I think probably about three months into the degree I think I was like no I'm I'm theatre I'm a theatre kid I love (laughs) I love film I love tv but I there's something about the process Mm. of theatre I think as a designer you get you get a lot more jurisdiction over the entire image maybe it's control freaky I don't know I guess we probably all are a little bit control freaky with it but yeah you could decide how an audience sees something whereas you know when you're in film and tv it's that's the DOP's job that's Mm, that's someone mm -hmm. else who decides what you're seeing and how you're seeing something and I just kind of liked that you know you're offering a frame to an audience and the audience can choose to watch the performer at the back of the chorus line or they can watch moon in the top right hand corner or they can watch the main performer or you know they can watch the angel on the you know (laughs) at the side on you know on beside the seats or you know anything like that so I think yeah that was kind of with university and yeah it wasn't it wasn't a traditional course in a lot of ways so there's a lot of sort of places where I feel like oh dear if I got gaps but I wouldn't change it for the world really mm-hmm. because I think it it got me to kind of think in a very particular way I could I can kind of I guess I could make decisions uh, in a confident way and I can sort of my sort of way of developing ideas I sort of feel like it's kind of fairly well honed I mean you always you keep going and you keep learning but yeah so I think I think that was 
was kind of how the degree was yeah yeah no that sounds great thank you very much for answering that and we're sort of going to go, get into a bit more of the nitty-gritty now about like what you do yeah. and and your process and stuff which i'm quite excited to find out more about as i say like i don't yeah. know a lot about it but so after obviously after uni and stuff when you decided you're quite keen to work in theater like do you how was that initially to sort of for you getting your first sort of jobs and stuff did was that quite a hard process or were you quite lucky yeah it was, i mean it's it's a mix really i think i actually i was really lucky in that because of my situation i was able to stay living at home so i didn't have to get a job to get me through uni so I actually was able to start doing little projects here and there like student projects with other students that I'd met at Central St Martins there was Drama Centre London which is now unfortunately I think it's just in the process of closing now but it was napting and directing and they, they do have a writing course as well but I never really they were sort of quite separated from the rest of us but I sort of did some projects with those people. So I was then able to do bits with them. Mm-hmm. And then there was also a dance school where in our second year of university, we did some collaborations with, with different dance schools. And I got to know some dancers who then, when they had projects, they were like, oh, could you do some costumes for this? Or could you think of a design for that? So it was great because it was sort of a safe space of designing for something. There wasn't particularly that much pressure. You probably had about 50p and (laughs) you tried to make something work and some things pulled off, some things didn't. So I felt like sort of as I graduated I had a fair bit of practical experience which I think is quite unusual because I think a lot of other design courses they have a lot of they do a lot of speculative projects which means that you can think on a really big scale think on a really technical scale but then when it comes to kind of going oh and now you're making an entire show on 100 pounds how do you make that work I kind of had done three years of that so I kind of felt like I was already going into that with some experience so yeah when I when I graduated one of my final projects was a collaboration with a director a writer director from drama center which was a show called this is living and that then got taken up to the edinburgh fringe so that was kind of graduated took that up to the edinburgh fringe and it was it was just a really lovely kind of stepping stone and gradually other sort of projects came up a lot in that first year a lot were with people that either i had worked with as students or they knew somebody who knew them and I think word of mouth is always kind of the best way of yeah absolutely getting jobs especially within the creatives side of working because I think as much as a portfolio shows a certain level of work it shows how you worked with somebody else it doesn't show how you are as a person to work with <laughs> yeah I, I we, we say this all the time on this podcast like just being nice working well with other people and just doing a good job for people and working hard like it, it goes so far in like this industry absolutely and you know as as much as you want people to like the work that you do I know that my work with some people that I've collaborated with quite a lot will look very different to other projects where I collaborate with other people you wouldn't necessarily know that it's the same designer you might sort of see some trademarks maybe I I, I wouldn't be able to identify what they are myself yeah Yeah. but you know there is there are some directors that they know how to push me as a designer in a certain way and I know how to push them as a director or you know vice versa and there are others that it's just a very different collaboration process but yeah 
Hello, it's Jamie here. You may have heard this advert several times before, but if not, this is basically just me taking a minute to remind you guys that if you're enjoying the podcast, there are a number of things you can do to help us keep growing. Now, as many of you might be aware, the podcasting landscape is incredibly saturated. And I mean, there's lots of podcasts. We all love podcasts. But it's very difficult for independent podcasts like us to sometimes break through and to be noticed. So doing things like sharing us on social media, word of mouth, and just telling friends and family to listen, or even leaving us a little five-star review on places like Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts go so far in helping us to keep growing. Me and Elliot adore this podcast. We love making this podcast. So if you're able to help in any way by doing something like that, we'd be incredibly grateful. Not just for our podcast, but if you love any independent podcast, please try and give them a wee share or give them a review because it, it goes so far. Another thing you can do if you enjoy the podcast as well, and we appreciate that this is a very difficult time, but if you're enjoying this podcast and you want to help us, you can donate as little or as much as you like to our Patreon page, and you can do that by going to patreon.com slash job, or you can click the link in the show notes. Anything you can afford, we are very grateful for. Thank you for your continued support, and I hope you enjoy the rest of today's episode. It's very interesting. I have a few sort of now quite specific questions about the process and stuff. Yeah. But for, I guess firstly, just because you just mentioned the director stuff there. Firstly, like for people that maybe don't know, like how do you work with like say a theatre director, writer, like a team when you're maybe first putting on a show? Like where do you come into the equation? And like how much influence and sort of say do you have on the initial like design of something? That can vary a lot. I've designed a lot of new writing, which is kind of an area that I love because I love being able to talk to a writer about their kind of ideas mm-hmm. and their thoughts and their decisions. And I think also because that sort of that first project was with a writer director that I did at uni was Liam Borat. You know, he was really great at handing me really early drafts. And mm. I would then go, oh, this has given me this idea. And that would then feed back into the script. Yeah. And then the script would then be fed back to me. And by, you know, by the time we took it to the Edinburgh Fringe, they were kind of so intertwined that you could kind of not quite tell where design begun and script yeah, began. Yeah. and that that was kind of the dream so kind of anytime somebody goes oh I've got a first draft do you want to read it it's like, yes please yes 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 <laughs> I want to kind of see that first early stage and kind of give some responses and give as welcoming an environment for yeah. uh, a very young fledgling script because I think a lot of writers obviously it's it's a very solo process and handing that over to a director or to a designer at an early stage is always really nerve-wracking. Yeah, it's, like, oh, it's, a, it's the it. same. It's yeah, it's the same as a script editor. Like that's the, yeah. the whole our whole role is like you know you're working with a a, a writer from like the very start sometimes to like mm. you know the whole way through and it, it like they have to send you know you have to have a lot of trust between you and the writer because you know they're giving you like access to something that maybe isn't finished or has yeah. flaws and you know it so it's, it's quite a lot of similarities there yes yeah, so I totally yeah. get what you mean by yeah. that so I think that's that's been something that I love working with writers and directors that I've worked with before mm. because then that trust is already yeah. sort of there you're gradually building it up project by yeah. project but yeah I mean a designer tends to be kind of 
after after the director tends to be the first creative that gets involved mm. in the process and then lighting and sound and any other areas that might be required for the show sort of get involved later on it really depends project to project I think every designer we always kind of say we would love to be involved as early as possible <laughs> but it's been really interesting kind of since the pandemic everything has been very last minute it's a shame because yes it can be possible to do things yes of course but you do lose that kind of chance of conversation just Mm -hmm. you know letting something grow and giving a bit of that organic time to something that you can kind of you know just spend a week with it sitting in the back of your head thinking about something without having to kind of put pen to paper make something sort of feel very real because I think as a designer I think there's always this sort of sense of when you want to sort of start putting pen to paper it gives the show a sort of a permanence yeah you know even if they're sketches so I tend to as a designer I tend to be quite reluctant to start sketching until a little bit later in the process I do a lot of image sharing so like Pinterest I love love Pinterest yeah love (laughs) Pinterest and anything like that because it sort of allows that sort of organic idea sharing visual Mm. sharing kind of going oh I'm thinking this oh how about this and you can kind of feed into it together and you build up your visual language as a team Mm -hmm. rather than kind of going this is my solo vision this is what you're getting yeah (laughs) yeah so so yeah so with it with a director um it can really vary you know I've had design projects where I've been involved a year two years before a show (laughs) happens which is the dream because it becomes your child yeah yeah, that show becomes it becomes everything to you and you remember every little bit of it and then there are other ones where you know, I get contacted like a week before and they're like, <laughs> oh, we realised that we need a designer. And then it's kind of sometimes there's something really fun about that because you're kind of throwing everything at a wall and seeing what sticks. And sometimes those can be amazing collaborations as well. A little bit more stressful, <laughs> considerably more stressful. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, you know, they, 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 they also have their merit. But yeah, I mean, it's every designer's dream to be involved as early as possible. So we can kind of tinker around with, yeah. with, <laughs> with thoughts and ideas as much as possible and kind of, yeah, yeah use, use each other as a sounding board. No, that, that, this is, this is really, I've found this really interesting. So thank you for, for going into that as well. And I, I'm sort of asking on behalf of maybe less I don't know but like what like is the sort of day-to-day jobs you're actually doing as a set designer or costume designer like and maybe that does sound like a silly question to ask but like what sort of like what are you doing on a day-to-day basis for that I mean obviously it'll change throughout the process yeah so it changes throughout the process but it's also dependent on the scale of the job and how many other people are involved so I'm a very hands-on designer I really like to kind of be involved with making with all of kind of that side of things so you know on on the actual sort of developing that initial design most designers are normally sort of working on thereabouts four projects at the same time which I think a lot of people don't quite realize that you know we're not we're not like most other team members within within a show who will be doing their that project from January to April 
and that's blocked out for that project and they might be having you know a coffee meeting about something in the future but that's mm. about it yeah. we're, we're often you know we're working on multiple things all at the same time so at the moment like I've got a real sort of confluence of too many projects opening all at the same time so I've I occasionally costume supervise as well which is you work with a costume designer sort of sourcing costumes yeah. checking how things fit managing that whole process so kind of all of those kind of elements for a designer so that kind of grew out of being a designer who supervised my own shows so I I do that as well so a show I just supervised has opened and then I've got another two shows before Christmas yeah. so, so it's like it's all manic but yeah so so sort of day-to-day basis can you know sometimes be you know reading a script there's a lot of sending emails there's a lot of research online research I do love kind of spending time looking through books as well if I can I've got a lot of art books at home that I kind of if I can especially if I sort of have a little block that I can't get past I find sometimes looking through an art book you know even if it's something that's completely irrelevant yeah. you know you're doing something set in present day England and you're looking through like Russian 1940s <laughs> stuff and sometimes something will just click um, your wave of inspiration exactly sometimes it just opens up something and yeah I mean online research is always amazing I'm I'm very much led by imagery that's always kind of tends to be what sort of I pull ideas from and then I'll I'll sort of start sketching some very very rough sketches I'm not I don't think I ever felt like I was that good at drawing I think my drawings communicate more than which is what they're needed for rather than being beautiful entities in themselves (laughs) um (laughs) but yeah so I'll I'll do that and then I'll sort of gradually build up into kind of I use on my iPad I sort of draw sets and costumes on there a lot of the time now because it's really helpful because you can do it on the go you don't have to bring a hundred different colors and watercolors and (laughs) and all of that kind of stuff you've got it there already which I I kind of love and I like that you can kind of edit and play with things so yeah so I'll sort of be doing that and then you know on the front of once things get into rehearsals if you're sourcing props if you're sourcing costumes I'll be going to costume hire and prop hire so for example tomorrow morning I've got costume fittings and then I'm going to have a look at some props for two different shows so that's kind of that's what I'm going to be doing tomorrow and then fittings putting things onto the actors seeing how they feel in them, seeing how it looks, and then working on from there. Yeah, so then there's also a lot of, you know, trying to source things in shops online especially online over the last over the last year I think finding stuff at the moment in shops I find every time you go into a shop they don't quite have the right thing or something like that so you're sort of trying to find things online so it's a lot of kind of researching ridiculous things and sort of hunting the deep dark depths of the internet trying to find the thing that you've got in your head or trying to work out a way of making it and then and then when it comes to kind of the getting and the tech again it sort of depends on kind of what team size is but you're kind of normally quite hands-on with actually fitting up the show so getting all the set into the space I think every show should have a production manager but it doesn't happen as often as it should because they are unsung heroes (laughs) of the theatre world because they 
you know, they that's what they do. They manage all of those technical logistics of kind of getting everything into a place, managing budgets, that kind of thing. Because there is a lot of that kind of organisational side of the job, which I think people don't really think of within design is, you know, a lot of the time you're doing budget sheets and <laughs> you're doing, you know, as much as you're doing the fun things and painting <laughs> something and um, making something else, you are also doing a lot of that. But yeah, so, so you know, you'll be from Monday for Gatsby. We've, we've got our get-in on Monday at the Southwark Playhouse and that will mean bringing in all the set pieces, installing everything, putting everything up, making sure that looks how you want it to look. So it's always a really intense day because yeah, yeah. it's it, you know it's like make or break time really and then you sort of have a day or a couple of days of fit up depending on the scale and then the next day then you have the cast coming in and the, it's the first time they're seeing it since maybe that first day of rehearsals where you sort of showed them a drawing or a model box or you know something like that you know so suddenly it's like oh right this is this is the world this is the world that we've been talking about so it's always quite nerve-wracking for a designer when yeah I can imagine performers first come into the space (laughs) and I think it's it's something that I hadn't particularly ever thought about until I was associate designer to an incredible designer, Rebecca Brower, on a production of The Boys in the Band that was at the Park Theatre five years ago, five, yeah, five years ago. And I remember before the actors first arrived, it was, it was a beautiful kind of 60s set with amazing kind of detail and she really made sure that it looked perfect so the first thing when all the actors came in was this is the world this is it it's here there's not ladders in the way there's not all of this rubbish sitting everywhere and I'd never really kind of considered how important that was but actually yes it is because I think often they're they're on the stage so they're not looking at it that often so you really want that impact to sort of hit and really carry with them and you want that impact to be as full as it can be before the tech starts so that's sort of something that I've tried to kind of keep doing as much as possible in projects and then we go into tech which are normally kind of 12 hour days probably plus a bit more because we're always there after and before repainting something <laughs> and before yeah. repainting something putting something up all of that kind of stuff and that's sort of then where kind of the collaboration especially with the lighting designer because as much as you have conversations with the lighting designer beforehand you really like a design can be made or broken by how a lighting designer treats it because you put a set up with 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 these horrible kind of down lights <laughs> and everything kind of looks a bit rubbish and then a lighting designer will start lighting something with the theatre lights and when they do a beautiful job of it they transform mm-hmm. your your world it becomes a proper world it becomes yeah 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 you see it for the first time almost like yeah, properly exactly. yeah so then it's very much I find kind of as a designer once you go into tech you know you're there to kind of be there with with the other designers who most of their design process really happens in tech 
whereas your ones sort of happen beforehand and you're kind of doing snags and fixes and that kind of thing it's then you sort of gradually handing over and checking in with them and sort of seeing how you can help them yeah and then yeah and then you get to opening night which always happens very quickly <laughs> yeah thank you very very much for giving us like a very detailed a to b and like the sort of day-to-day workings of, of, of yeah. being a designer for fear so i that's really good for people that maybe are younger who are listening who want yeah. to know you know you're just you're giving them a very honest account of what the job's like and that's great to get on the podcast so thank you for that i know we sort of i've mentioned gatsby a few times but i feel like i should probably ask you about that to promote it yeah. and you know because i know that's that's next week it starts so yeah. do you want to, so for the listeners at home and stuff do you want to just sort of briefly just quick you know give a tell them what gatsby is for particularly anyone based in london that might might be able to go and see it lovely yeah so uh, Gatsby it's it's a musical production and it has honestly it's got the most glorious music which was really what kind of made me say yes to the job yeah so it's it's a stellar cast there are I think it's 11 of them on on a very small stage so it is going to be a really like full performance you're going to really get something really close up really characterful visually it's playing with kind of in this version that it's sort of done through flashbacks and so you start in 1929 with flashbacks to 1922 so there's an element of dreaminess of a lot of gold a lot of mirror a lot of soft focus soft light and sort of that decayed glamour and decayed elegance so yeah so vis- visually it's been a really lovely yeah it's kind yeah. of a dream well Fitzgerald obviously from having read the book and stuff like, mm-hmm. like and you know the worlds he writes about are like stunning so obviously as a designer it must have been like a, it's a great thing for you to work on I imagine yeah oh absolutely absolutely I mean it's such a it was such a rich period for design it was such an elegant time and it was it was a huge step in so many areas of culture that I, I guess that's why there's so many books and films and everything written at that time period and I think that's why Gatsby kind of is is such a popular story to kind of revisit so yeah I mean design wise yeah it's kind of one of those ones where you know it's like all all of these sort of Erte drawings and things like that where they're just kind of they're really magical and there's a lot of kind of two dimensions rather than kind of everything being 3D it's very kind of there's a lot of layering and flat details obviously kind of with with the show itself there's a lot of requirements on the front of you know we've got dance numbers we've got loads of worlds to create in a space where we can't build 500 different sets so so space has to be really flexible so that was kind of the initial thing was making a space that can become cold winter 1929 and can become middle of the summer hot 1922 so that's always kind of that's that's always one of the most exciting things as a designer is for theatre is something that you know you have to make a space that's really adaptable and it can also kind of present everything in the best way possible that it's not kind of a half-hearted summer a half-hearted winter <laughs> if you want it to feel like both so yeah so so there's been a lot of kind of playing with the glamour but also playing with the prohibition of 1929 and sort of yeah that sort of dichotomy of cold harshness and roughness versus this high glamour expensive new money of Gatsby's world 
but yeah hope hopefully we'll we'll have achieved it but yeah definitely yeah. it should really be worth coming to see and it'll yeah. be running for a month yeah, it's on to the 8th of January, I believe. So we'll, of, we'll, we'll link this all in the show notes yeah. of the podcast when it comes out. So if anyone's interested in that, take a look, of course. Yeah, it's the but, perfect kind of Christmas show. Yeah, no, I imagine. I, shame I can't see it. Oh, but, <laughs> <too far. laughs> but I slowly started to wrap things up because we, I know we've nearly been speaking for an hour. But before I sort of actually the last sort of questions on the podcast, I, we usually do something which we'd quick fire sort of funner questions they're just a few things about set design Ooh, okay. costume they should be a bit more fun for you but the first the first of them is do you have like a favorite venue that you'd ever had the chance to either work in or just go and see something in like a favorite theater venue Ooh, olivier national yeah. theater olivier yeah yeah right that's the dream i want to I... do the producers there one day with a massive staircase <laughs> oh, great. yeah that would be <laughs> that's, amazing. that's the dream one day one day you'll get there yeah the next sort of question is do you have like a favorite play or musical I, mean, I knew it's a really hard question feel free to chuck in more than one answer if you want oh okay so musical into the woods opera magic flute i'm a huge opera fan play oh there's a lot of really good ones one that hit me so hard was chimerica a couple of years ago at the almeida that's something that kind of really <laughs> sat with me it's kind of those shows where you kind of leave and I think I just ended up walking around Sainsbury's for an hour not knowing what to do with myself before <laughs> I decided to get the tube home and I, it's that's what plays do when they like hit you like that yeah, yeah yeah absolutely and again a very hard question but did you have a favorite like show that you just loved the particularly what you loved most about it was the set design one of my favorite pieces of, of performance is an opera called Satyagraha and it's a Philip Glass opera and I think just it's because it's so world building there's like and it's so slow paced so you've got these kind of worlds being built in front of you and I think that that's something that I've seen it quite a few times now and it still blows my mind yeah how you know watching people run and sellotape from one end of the room to the other for half an hour can be (laughs) that intoxicating Yeah. yeah And I know you don't obviously work in film or anything, but you've sort of done it a little bit of at uni, but is there like a film or a show, a TV show that, that you just watch and you love like the, the design of it, the set of it? Yeah, I mean, well, I, t- I touched on Doctor Who. So Doctor yeah. Who, for sure, because it's just, yeah. I mean, it's dream worlds every week. You yeah, create, yeah. You're creating an entire planet. <laughs> you're creating an entire world of creatures and I love that and then I think another one for me has always been as a film I've got a lot of films that I love but I think visually Amadeus Mm, I've still never seen I've still never seen it and I think that I'm pretty sure that's been announced on the podcast before and I'm pretty sure I said to them yeah I'll definitely watch that soon and I never yeah it's it's beautiful it's just so beautiful because it's so decadent and it's just yeah you visually I I mean everything it's just so creative but yeah I do I do love that terrible film graduate the amount of films I haven't probably have seen that I really (laughs) have there's so many I haven't (laughs) seen my list is like ridiculously long yeah Are we going to appall you with something confidential and disgusting? Let's hope so, because that is what you really like. Unconfessed crimes of buried wickedness. If that is what brings you to us, the prospect of hearing horrors, you shall not go unrewarded. Just get a real job. 
there's, there's so much there's so much more stuff i could like i could ask you and that we won't have time to but like the sort of last two questions on the podcast are one of well the name of the podcast of course just get a real job and a question we ask everyone is like what's the sort of worst job or worst part-time job you sort of ever had to work in your life to sort of support yourself as an artist or just while you're at uni or whatever that you hated and it's sort of you know you had to just do it anyway type thing do you know what actually I've been I've been quite lucky I I did I sort of did a lot of ushering at theatres which have generally been nice but you definitely get the horrible horrible patrons Um, (laughs) (laughs) yeah they they can they you know actually actually working at the theatres were lovely but you do get like hellish hellish customers I think that's always the thing like customer customer service in general is always kind of you have that risk of ridiculously stupid people who um, (laughs) just don't like they don't care about you and they'll walk away from you when they've asked you a question you're answering them but I mean to be honest I know people have been through a lot worse so yeah (laughs) But, but customer service is always you know but the reason we ask this question is I just think everyone has to do that at some point in their life and it just makes oh, you know really? makes all the creative souls out there just feel a little bit better yeah. that other people yeah have. I mean I, I went I went back into ushering over the gaps between lockdown when things weren't really design stuff wasn't really picking up again and yeah always thankful to have something like that that you can go and do we, we all need it I don't think there's anybody who's managed to avoid <laughs> it forever <laughs> Yeah, especially at the moment in these sort of uncertain times we live in. Well, I've just got one more question for you, which is, and you've given, I mean, you've given some great advice already throughout this podcast, but we sort of get, end the podcast by just getting our guests to sort of round off what their advice would be to anyone that maybe wants to work in their field. So what would you sort of say to anyone that was maybe think considering going for a career and doing what you do? I would say try and see as much as possible. Designers are always more than willing to have a chat. Drop us a message on Instagram, Twitter. Facebook, whatever, we will always have a chat and give you some more advice. Make things, whatever you make, just just make things because I think, yeah, theatre design kind of any any skills that you have, there will always be a use for them and something you can explore from it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, thank you very much for like your advice and just in general. I think this has been a great episode for for just finding out a lot, particularly what you do and stuff. And I just think it'll be really, really enjoyable one for people and, and useful one as well for people that want to work in and what you do. So thank you very much for giving us your time. Appreciate it. No worries at all. Thank you. Well, that was my conversation with Isabella. Thank you again to her for coming on the podcast. Before I go into the outro, as I normally do, as I mentioned at the start, me and Ellie have recorded a little song in tribute to my granddad and this is a cover of a song called Four Strong Winds. Now Johnny Cash did a version and my granddad loved Johnny Cash so we've sort of, this is our imitation of the Johnny Cash version. Um, I think the original song's by someone called Ian Tyson and it was written in like a long, long time ago but this is our version of Johnny Cash's version of the song so I hope you enjoy and this is for you granddad. Strong winds that blow lonely, seven seas that run high, all those things that don't change, come what may. But our good times are all gone, and I'm bound for moving on. 
I'll look for you if I'm ever back this way Think I'll go out to Alberta Where there's good there in the fall Got some friends that I can go working for Still I wish you'd change your mind If I asked you one more time But we've been through that a hundred times or more Four strong winds that blow lonely Seven seas that run high All those things that don't change Come what may But our good times are all gone And I'm bound for moving on I'll look for you if I'm ever back this way get there before the snow flies and if things are going well you could meet me if I send you down the fair but by then it would be winter there ain't much for you to do and those winds shook and blow cold out there Four strong winds that blow lonely Seven seas that run high All those things that don't change Come what may But our good times are all gone And I'm bound for moving on I'll look for you if I'm ever back this way Four strong winds that blow long Seven seas that run high All those things that don't change Come what may But our good times are all gone And I'm bound for moving on I'll look for you if I'm ever back this way That's for you, Jazz. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the podcast. I hope you enjoyed what Isabel had to say as well. And I hope you enjoyed that little song we did. It was nice to do a wee song. We don't normally do that. So I do enjoy like a little sing song now and again. So I hope you thought that was all right. If you're still listening, that is. But as always, thank you very much for tuning into this podcast. Uh, remember to go and check out some of Isabel's projects in the show notes as always. Go and see the show. Go and see the Gatsby musical. And as always, please remember to check out this podcast's back catalogue. Leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get podcasts and be sure to spread the word word of mouth is how we keep growing anyway wherever you are in the world i hope you're well and we'll be back again next tuesday another episode of just get a real job
just get a real job.